It's 12.08, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When the news first broke that Jamie Kloss had been found safe, I, I thought it was absolutely amazing. Matter of fact, I, I sent out a tweet uh, about this. You can follow me if you like, at Jeff Wagner 620 But this is, seriously, one of the most amazing stories of the decade. Everybody is probably familiar with this. Uh, October 10th, Jamie Kloss, 13 years old, goes missing. Her parents are found murdered at their at their home in, in Barron County. Uh, the 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 girl, 13 years old, has disappeared, uh, and a huge manhunt or woman hunt in this case go, goes on. They, they they can't find her and. I don't mean to be a downer on this, but the reality is that in situations like this where you have the the child that goes missing, especially after a horrendous act of violence committed against the parents, it almost never has a good ending. It, it just almost never has a good ending. And people, you, you want to be optimistic. You want to, again, keep the faith and all those types of things. Law enforcement continues to work on this. And every once in a while, you, you do have a positive outcome. You have an Elizabeth Smart sort of situation. But that that's the odds are against it. And as each day goes by, the odds become more and more against it. Well, all right, yesterday you have this story where apparently Jamie Kloss, she is able to break free um, from her captor. It appears that she was held captive in a cabin pretty much in, in the middle of of nowhere and she's able to get free and she's able to contact you know people in the nearby town and they call 911 and shortly after that the authorities respond quickly and they're able to arrest the man that they believe was responsible for murdering her parents and and kidnapping her his name is Jake Thomas Patterson he is 21 years old with no prior criminal record now the, the details of this are, are just starting to emerge but based on what is coming out so far the authorities say they don't believe that the Jamie Kloss or her parents had ever had any contact with this Jake Patterson before they believe that this was a classic case of a stranger abduction. They believe that the motive all along was abduction, that, that Patterson, for example, didn't set out to kill the parents and then, you know, take her hostage or, or whatever, or here, I, I've got to take her. They think that this was just a kidnapping, and you know, more details will emerge, but that the murder, I guess, was, was conducted in furtherance of, of the kidnapping. But the interesting thing is this is a complete and total stranger situation i mean no contact i mean there was some speculation at the beginning was gee their their internet contact or things like that no no not not at all and here you have this this young girl who was held hostage for the better part of of 90 days you know, who knows what ended up happening but in again the the miraculous aspect of the story she she is free she apparently is you, know, you don't come through something like this for the past 90 days without you know having certain injuries and things like that but it doesn't appear 
that it, it doesn't appear that she's got long-standing physical injuries, and they expect that the authorities at some point in time in the near future are going to be able to reunite her with her her surviving family members. Now, what this woman's been through is just incredibly, incredibly horrendous sort of thing, and you've got two people who are dead in connection with this. You've got the guy that did it, at least allegedly did it, 21 years old, no prior criminal record at all. All right, there's a lot of aspects of of this story that I I think are interesting, but this is one of those times, and we do this on occasion, where I I, I like to use this program as essentially an electronic town hall, and that is I just want to open up the phone lines and invite you to share your reaction to this story. This is is international news, and again, I I don't want to downplay the horror of this, because this is a horrible situation. You have two people that are dead. You have a 13-year-old girl who is abducted and held for you know 90 days until she somehow manages to free herself. But the flip side of this, if you're going to look for a silver lining in this very, very dark cloud, is she was able to free herself, and she, she's been recovered, and she's she's safe. But there's a lot of aspects about this case that I think – Certainly bear a comment, and I want to just open up the phone lines, give you an opportunity to react. What did you think when you first heard the news that this young girl had been found and that she had been found alive and relatively unharmed? And again, I have an asterisk. I understand this woman went, this girl went through absolute you-know-what, but but she's been found alive. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Your reaction to the breaking news over the course of the last 24 hours involving the recovery of kidnapped victim Jamie Kloss. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with your reaction in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1214, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. For, for those of you not familiar necessarily with the details, uh, Jamie Kloss vanished early October 15th um, when apparently what happened is Barron County Sheriff's deputies responded to a 911 call. They found the door to the family's home near Barron kicked in. Her parents, 56 and 46, had been fatally shot. There was no sign of her a- at all. And like I said in the intro, you you always hope and pray for the best, but the, these situations rarely end end well. And yet, yesterday afternoon, um, she was found in Gordon, which is a small community about sixty miles away from the the home. Suspect was taken into custody ten minutes after she was uh, after she was recovered, and the, the suspect they they believe no contact, no prior contact with either her or with the parents. 21-year-old guy with no criminal record. It appears that for whatever reasons, he's the one that kicked in the door, murdered the parents, took her, and abducted her and held her for the better part of 90 days in this remote cabin in the middle of nowhere. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Steve in Fond du Lac. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Yeah, when I found out about this last night, I was just, you know, really relieved. Um, You know, I have a daughter around the same age myself and just... Yeah. Think about this, you know, a young lady witnessing her parents get murdered in that fashion and then to get kidnapped the way she did and just the way this story ended. I mean, I, it's, it's really remarkable. You know, my prayers had went out to her and her family all this time. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. I just one one question I don't get is why if they didn't have prior contact 
supposedly. How did he know that there was a girl in the house? There must have been, he must have known somehow or had some sort of prior contact with her, but I guess we'll wait to find out. Right. No, exactly. No, thanks, Nicole. But see, and that, that's what makes this so very scary for, for everybody. Um, let us, or, or right now, I mean, I think their working theory is that this was a, a complete and total stranger abduction. If you look at the statistics, I mean, many times, probably the majority of times, when you have one of these abductions or a kidnapping, there, there is contact. It's by, by somebody who's, who's known to the parties. In this particular case, at least I think their working theory, and again, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself, but based on what they're saying now, the working theory appears to be that this was, there, there hadn't been contact. So I, had he been stalking her? You know, who knows? They, the authorities are saying that they think the mo, that the parents, at least this is what I'm, I'm reading into what they're saying, that, that the parents were killed as a part of the, as, as a part and parcel of, of the kidnapping that went on, as opposed to, here, I'm gonna go with the idea of murdering the parents, and then, okay, I've got a witness here. I, it's just, but, but it is bizarre, it is scary, it is the randomness of these, these things that also, I, I think, is completely and totally troubling because you sit there and you say, okay, well, this could theoretically, it could happen to anyone, which makes you just wonder, you know, what what's going on here. And then you look at the alleged kidnapper in this case. The guy is is twenty one years old, and you wonder what what motivates somebody number one to do this, but number two to to do this under these kind of circumstances. All right, uh, let's go to our text line. I saw the breaking news and uh, read on with serious reservations because. I candidly was curious to know where her body was found. I was extremely surprised and pleased to see the word alive. Overjoyed but surprised. I I I admit I I admit there's the the same I had that same sort of reaction. Like I say, I I just it was kind of like, you know, wow, that they found her alive because it it almost never seems to happen. Um here's Carla from Milwaukee. Jeff, when I heard they found Jamie Claus I was filled with relief. I cried. In these instances, it just makes you think that if it was your child or family member, I can only imagine what Jamie went through with both of her parents being murdered. I'm just glad she has what seems to be a big, loving family who will do everything to take care of her from this point on. Um, yeah. Another text. Jeff, extremely frightening. 21-year-old with no motive or grudge against the family just kills two people to kidnap the poor child. It is absolutely insane. Um, yes, it is. It, it's just, and again, what's so scary about this is the, uh, what, what's so scary about this is, again, that, that randomness that, that's out there. Now, a number of people are texting saying that, that you know, they, they won't be surprised if there isn't some kind of social media connection. At least so far, authorities are, are saying, no, that that's, that's not the case. I know that was one of the theories that maybe somebody, you know, sometimes you strike up uh, contact on social media. At least so far, that that's not what the indication is that they're giving, that this appears to just be a complete and total stranger situation. But the bottom line, and this is getting international attention, a, a, as well as it should, because it's... It's got a relatively happy ending, and I, I understand. I got to put that in quotation marks when you say it because it's an it's an incredibly tragic story, and you can't lose sight of the fact that you have somebody who's been kidnapped for you know and, and held for going on three months, and the circumstances behind the kidnapping and the murder of the parents. So there's there's nothing happy. There's nothing good here except the result 
that you this young lady turns out uh, she is alive and hopefully will be reunited with her you know, surviving family members in just a bit. And I'm sure we'll learn more. Number of people are also raising the point about, gee, Wisconsin kind of too bad that it doesn't have a death penalty. And again, trying to avoid a rush to judgment, regardless of where you feel, how you feel about the death penalty. I would argue that if, in fact, the allegations are as they appear to be and that this guy did what authorities seem to believe that he did, tough to argue to me, tough to explain why if there was ever a case that called for the death penalty, it would seem to me that it would be this one. It's 1222. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1225. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Tomorrow, if the government's budget impasse is not solved, if the partial shutdown is not revoked, tomorrow will mark the the longest government shutdown ever, uh, longer than the uh, Newt Gingrich-Bill Clinton debacle back in the mid-1990s. Today was payday for the vast majority of federal employees who are subject to the the furlough as in shutdown. Some 800,000 federal employees, more than half who are still on the job, will miss their first paycheck today under this stoppage. And in in many cases, we talked about of this 800,000, you probably have more than 300,000 who have been required to work but are not being paid. They will, I get it, they will be paid presumably at some point in time. They'll get back pay and all. But but right now, if they had direct deposit and you wake up Friday morning and you're used to seeing 500 or 1,000 or 1,250 or however much money in your checking account for the job that you have done, that work, that, that check is not going to be there. And you can say, well, you'll, you'll get it at some point in time. Or to the workers who've been furloughed for the last couple of weeks, you can say, well, you know, historically, when these things have been settled, you know, you get back pay. So essentially, it's like a, a paid vacation. Maybe, maybe not. But the bottom line is no paychecks, no paychecks today. Now, this morning, I've had a very, very busy morning. This morning, I had the opportunity to have multiple conversations with, well, some of my Washington, D.C. contacts. And I, I, I promised everybody no attribution. But my, my question was pretty much of a simple one. And, and these are people, the people I am talking to are people in the know. And I, I just leave it at that. And, and my question to everyone that I talked to was, I said, just tell me, what the hell is going on, and how is this going to end, and when will it end? Because I, I admit, as a former federal employee, I mean, I worked for the U.S. Attorney's Office for 12 or 13 years, I just don't think it's right for people to not be paid. I, I just, I, I don't. Uh, I, I think especially when, and I understand there's hostility towards federal employees or government employees or whatever, but if, if you're working, you deserve to be paid. So my question to multiple people this morning in the know was, what the blank is going on? And when is this going to end? And I am sorry to report to you that the result and the reaction I got from all the people I talked to, and these again are people in position to know, is it, it's a mess. There does not appear to be any meaningful sort of movement here. The president is intransigent. 
The Democrats are intransigent. intransigent. Um, you have other people who think, well, okay, we're not getting blamed for this or, or whatever, so we'll let it go. But the bottom line is, at least the people I'm talking to are saying that they think that this is going to continue to go on for the foreseeable future. And everybody I was speaking to at least was telling me that they they agree that it's no way to run a railroad, but it is an example of the type of dysfunction that you have been seeing in Washington uh, for a long time, and now it has kind of just bubbled up into this ugly mess where you have 40% of the country that blames the president, and you have 40% of the country that blames the Democrats in Congress, and you probably have about 80% of the country that just wants this thing to end. Meanwhile, you've got all these federal employees. And again, when we talk about, it's not just the federal employees who are missing paychecks, but it's everybody else that's out there who deals with federal agencies who's not getting stuff done. If you're, you know, you got to submit your grant application. Well, there's nobody to read the grant application. Maybe you're waiting for this check or that check, or you're waiting for approval of this particular regulation or whatever, and there's nobody there that's in a position to process this because, all right, they're, they're on furlough or they're not working. I want to open up the phone lines. We're just going to do this for one segment because I, I don't have any good, I don't have any positive things to tell you about it, but I continue to be frustrated with the idea of a shutdown. Is this, let's not point fingers, if it's possible to do that, but is this a big deal? Is it important to get this matter resolved? Is it important to get the federal employees who are working paid? Is it important to get the federal employees who are on furlough back to work? Is this starting to affect real Americans? It's 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, I'm trying to be the voice of reason here. And, and th- this government shutdown, which is now you know going on 20-some days by Saturday if it's not resolved, and everybody I talk to in D.C. tells me it's not going to be resolved, this, this is just, it's no way to run a railroad. And I'm kind of at a point of saying a pox on everybody's house. I have a sympathy to federal employees because I worked for the government for, for 12 or 13 years. You have people who provide essential services, so they've been continuing to work. They are not going to get paid as of today. They're, they're not going to get paid. How would you like that if, you know, you, you were told by your employer, well, we expect you to come in, we expect you to keep working, but, you know, we're not going to pay you. Now, you again, I understand at some point in time you're going to get paid, probably, but you don't know if that's today or tomorrow or two weeks from now or four weeks from now or whatever. If you deal with the government in many sort of cases, you, you, you're, you're on hold. Your life is on hold because things aren't being processed and background checks aren't being done and various grant applications aren't being processed and, and things like that. And it, it, I mean, again, it varies, but it's a big deal. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Dan on the South Side. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Dan. Hey, uh, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. I agree you. with you. I, I 100% agree with you that the government should just stop this and have these people back to work. I was, I was talking to your man there. I, if I understand this right, now the Democrats had put a bill in front of them, and so, you know, to get the uh, House open. The Senate, if they go and look at the bill and they vote on it, and they all vote on it, and then Trump doesn't sign it, don't they override them? Well, I mean, you, you could have, an, I mean, you need to have, 
you need to have the the Senate Republicans and Republicans in the House because what do you need a two thirds vote to override? I mean, so you need to have people you know unify and say, okay, we're we're going to come together. Thanks for coming. I'm going to tell you. I mean, here's the politics of this. That, 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 that that's not going to happen because we are a very split country. Now, I understand if you read some of the mainstream media, you're, you're not going to necessarily pick this up. But here's the, the reality. you got 40 percent of the people who blame the president for this. Oh, we don't need this wall. This is all BS. You've got 40 percent of the people who blame the Democrats in Congress for this. And then you've got everybody else that just kind of throws up their hands. But, you know, everybody wants to appeal to th- their their base and nobody can end up giving in. I mean, I said this yesterday. This is the thing where it's a divided government. You make a deal. All right. President Trump wants the wall. That's a key element of his campaign promise. And in the scheme of things, I understand five billion dollars is a lot of money, but it's a four point four trillion dollar budget. OK, so you negotiate. You say, OK, we're going to we'll give you three billion dollars to put towards a wall. Now, I do. I personally think a wall is the solution to illegal immigration. No. But I mean, Democrats in 2006 voted for a wall for fencing i mean it does make sense to have barriers so you you throw some money at that and then you ask for something in exchange whatever that is but now everybody's dug in the democrats can't give the president anything because you've got it's it's the resistance we can't let him win anywhere the president is dug in because i think he legitimately believes in the wall but also his supporters say okay this is the hill he has chosen to die on so nobody can move on this when the answer is just make a deal and there's an easy deal that's out there to be had, you would think. 414-799-1620. But from my perspective, it just it just needs to end. Let's talk to Rich in Caledonia. Rich, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Rich. Um, we, it's national security. It shouldn't be a hill to die on for, you know, it should be an American thing because yep. they're not, you know, good people aren't coming across that border without checking in first. I mean, we need barriers. Don't care what you call it. You can call it a big fluffy blanket if you want. But we need it to keep people who we can funnel them to the places where they can be checked. And the places where we can't have a barrier, fine. But I mean, the Democrats, not one dollar. Really? Yep. Right. And, and I agree. No, thanks. And see, and I mean, I think that's a ridiculous position as well. The truth is. Five billion dollars doesn't come close to building a wall across the entire, you know, southern border of the U.S. I mean, that you're talking all sorts of things. And I understand the president said that, oh, Mexico will pay and all those different things. But all right. It it is not a ridiculous thing. Now, do I think it's going to solve all the problems? No. But putting up a little more fencing or whatever is not a ridiculous thing. So, I mean, it's not this completely frivolous demand. And if you look at a lot of the spending in the federal budget, it is frivolous sort of stuff. Now, at the same time, I understand the Democrats have their political issues. So saying, all right, we want something in return for this. Okay, we want a path to legal residency for dreamers or or whatever. But but this idea that you're just refusing to negotiate. I was sympathetic with President Trump the other day, and I'm not always sympathetic with President Trump. But, you know, he goes over and he sits down and has a meeting with the Democrats in Congress. And they say, well, fund this now and we can talk about the wall later. And he says, well, all right, are, are you going to are you going to make a commitment to fund? the wall and they say no you're not going to get a dime he said well then there's no nothing to talk about and so all this stuff goes on and on i mean to me it is just a classic example again of the dysfunction that claims that 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 just has been plaguing washington forever 
Dave in Whitefish Bay. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Dave. Um, I just want to say that uh, I do agree with this whole nonsense of uh, making the federal workers have to pay the price for inability in Washington. Right. And I think uh, if we want to take it one step further, that we somehow make, I don't know, let's call it a ba- balanced budget act of which you hold lawmakers accountable to have a balanced budget at by the deadline every time or initiate huge fines against these lawmakers as well as the president. And that might actually force them to sit down and get things done and not become a crisis that it's become today. Well, and, and a constant crisis. I mean, when was the last time we even had a budget, Dave? I don't, I don't, I don't recall. It's been a long time. It's been a long time, and so this is not going to change. Uh, as you said, it's very divisive right now, and um, we have to look beyond uh, the broken machine and how to fix it. And I think right now... Nobody wants to fix it because that requires work, and that is a big problem. We have a lot of big brains in this country, and I think we need to get everybody back on board. That you know, right? Well, well, it's also it's it's not it's not just that it requires work. I mean, actually, I I don't think this is difficult. I mean, I look, I I I understand five billion dollars is a lot of money, so I, I I get that. But this, I mean, when you look at all the stuff that you spend money on for federal spending, this. You know, okay, so you come back and you say, all right, let, let's have half a loaf. We'll give you $3 billion or we'll give you $2.5 billion, and then you can pick, you know, some of the spots and you open up government. Everybody, that's how, that's how something like this would be resolved in a real world if people were dealing with their own dollars. But because it's Washington, nobody can give an inch because they think that they're going to irritate their base, and so you have this mess that's out there. Well, it's constant campaigning. You got the president who made this campaign promise, so he has to deliver. You got the the Democrats on the other side who are making this, you know, position. Right. And right. This so is the resistance. Both sides right. playing right. to you know each other, and hearing who who bears the brunt of it, just the Americans in general. And then for another thing to make the TSA workers, I mean, this is national security we're talking about. This is a bigger. Uh, potential liability to have hanging out there and not paying these people well right or right you or right and then you have the tsa workers that are calling in sick and some people right. are upset about that well i mean i i kind of understand that after a while it's like hey you expect me to come into work and i'm i'm not going to be paid well thanks but no thanks right yeah. so all this needs to get rewritten reorganized and moving forward something has to come out of this because this is just going to repeat itself every cycle. And Absolutely, we are going to go nowhere except down. Right so. now, thanks for call. And unfortunately, yeah. there's no. Unfortunately, right now, there's no incentive on for for either side. I mean, either side, both sides feel they have more to lose by making a deal than they do by not making a, a deal. And I look, the president talks about the, the art of the deal, but you have to have people who are willing to negotiate. My sense is at this point in time, the Democrats are emboldened. They're, they're being driven to the left by members of their caucus, and they think that, hey, ultimately this, this will benefit us. We can't do anything that the president can allow to, can say is even a potential win. And for the, the president, well, I mean, I think he's going to have to give something too, but that's the nature of divided government but again what what bothers me whether you support a wall whether you don't support a wall what's wrong here is the fact that you have all these little people and i don't say that in a disparaging way i'm a little person too as far as you know gee if i'm i'm working and you're telling me well we expect you to come into work 
but you know you're you're not going to get paid that's just not right now i have somebody texting me saying oh you know essentially saying that federal employees are whiners it's like in the private sector if they don't like it they should look for a new job no different than a construction worker who constantly gets laid off when the project is done. Well, first of all, the construction worker is getting paid for his work. Yes, he might be laid off. Here, we have hundreds of thousands of people that we're saying, come in, go to work, and by the way, we're not going to pay you in a timely fashion. Well, I don't think anybody thinks that's right. Dave in Sheboygan. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Dave. What do you think? Um, uh, I, I think got to get fixed. They are endangering our food supply because the FDA is not doing the screening that they're supposed to be doing. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I th- thanks for calling. I mean, I wonder. I mean, I look. I mean, right now, okay, you, you've got federal employees who aren't getting paid. You've got people, and and I've talked to several of you over the last you know week or two who have dealings with the government about various things, and, and those, and, and it's important. I mean, you know, you're, I, you know, I, I can't do this until I get a permit. I can't go here until I get a permit, and and you're not able to get it because there, there's nobody there to deal with anymore. Because the people have been furloughed. So th- those are some of the real world consequences. But yes, I mean, you, you know, when, when you're dealing with, with safety, if you've got TSA workers who are, aren't coming in or you don't have as much, you know, as, as many people at the FDA or whatever, at, at some point in time, it, it keeps having real world consequences. And again, what's frustrating to me is the fact that there is a solution that there's a solution that's there. This is one where both sides have things that are important. You meet in the middle. And and then you go on. But we're not because people have just kind of dug in because they just can't turn their backs on their tribe here. You know, we can't give in for anything. And this will make Trump look bad or this will make the Democrats look bad. And the truth is, I think it makes everybody look bad. 1247 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Twelve forty nine. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Coming up in about ten minutes. All right. It's one of the reasons why people do not like, and actually, in some cases, do not trust the mainstream media. I'll tell you about that story. There appears to be a, a civil war that's getting ready to break out among Democrats. Who's going to win, and what is the future of the American left? We're going to have that conversation as well. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620, and we give you a kind of a headline and a head start on all the different things that we're going to discuss during the course of the day. A follow-up to something we talked about yesterday, um, Tribune Broadcasting, which owns 30-plus stations across the country, including Fox 6 in Milwaukee has been off the air. They've been not off the air. They have been off spectrum cable. You could still get them through over the air antennas and you could get them on dish and direct TV. But around here, the principal provider of of TV is spectrum cable. Tribune Broadcasting, which means Channel 6 in Milwaukee, has been off of spectrum cable for about nine or ten days in a rights dispute we talked a little bit about this what happens is you have companies like tribune that own various tv stations they provide content and what happens is they sell the rights to their content to entities like spectrum cable or direct tv or at&t who provide content delivery they deliver the content to 
the, the ultimate consumer, like like you or me. Now, interestingly, like in the case of, of Spectrum, Spectrum is also starting to develop their, their own content. They've got their own like news station around here that, that they run. I end up watching that from time to time. But what happened was there was, and this, this goes on periodically, there was a dispute. Tribune Broadcast Company said, okay, our, our contract with Spectrum Cable is up. We want more money in order to sell you the rights to then distribute our, our programming. And Spectrum said, no, no, we, we think you're asking for too much money. It was, again, one of these disputes, perhaps not unlike, you know, spending and what stuff is worth, like it's going on with the federal government shutdown. Um, it had gone on for nine days. We talked a little bit yesterday about how people were dealing with this. This weekend, at least in Milwaukee, was sort of a bigger deal because – this is the weekend in Milwaukee. Fox 6 carries a couple of the NFL playoff games. And if they hadn't reached an agreement, you wouldn't be able to get the playoff games over, uh, again, the the uh, the cable system, the Spectrum Cable. You could still get playoff games other ways, but, you know, we talked about that. In any event, um, apparently, to the surprise of some, the, the blackout has just ended, and now um, – Tribune Broadcasting has cut a deal, so that means Fox 6 is back up on Spectrum. So if you were wondering and worried about whether you can see the ball game this weekend or that ball game or whatever, no worries. They have reached a deal, and there were some nasty things that they were saying about each other, but that apparently they've been able to put that by the wayside. It's funny how money changes that. A a passing, I wanted to note. I am a movie fan. Gru, who is producing the show today and always, do you know who Verna Bloom is? No, Verna Bloom doesn't mean anything. All right, well, let me ask you a different question. Familiar with the movie Animal House? You you say, my producer says yes, but you hesitate. So, I mean, you've never seen Animal House? Okay. You've never, you ne- you have never seen arguably the greatest comedy ever. You have never, ever seen Animal House. John Belushi. Huh. <sighs> I have obviously, I, you know, it, I, I don't, I don't have children of my own. But every once in a while, I, I'm sure as parents you deal with this, where you, you just kind of throw up your hands and you say, I, I, I my, my, my kid's great, but I've obviously failed in in some, I, I failed in in some respect with regard to upbringing. My producer is great. I have obviously failed somehow if he can be as old as he is and never have seen the movie Animal House. Well, okay, well, let's let's leave him out. You should make a point of seeing it. It is it, it it's arguably it is a comedy that completely and totally reinvented movie comedy. It's it's a it's the vehicle that made John Belushi the star that he is. It's just it's a funny funny movie and it it spawned an entire multiple generations of funny movies. But my producer has never seen Animal House. Well, uh, let's put that aside. If he had seen Animal House, going back to my point, Verna Bloom, um, maybe you don't remember necessarily the name, but Verna Bloom, her her probably career-defining role, for for good or for bad, she she played the wife of Dean Wormer. She was Mrs. Wormer in Animal House who ended up having the affair with... Um, Tim Matheson's character, um, but she she stole several scenes in the movie. That was Verna Bloom. The other movie that she was in that people might remember, 
High Plains Drifter. You ever seen High Plains Drifter with Clint Eastwood? No, my producer just shakes his head. High Plains Drifter. High Plains Drifter with Clint Eastwood. Um, she was in one of the starring roles in that and Animal House. But in any event, Verna Bloom, who had one of the classic roles in American film history, even if my producer never saw it, she passed away at the age of 80. So, all right, this is your assignment this weekend. Yeah, High Plains Drifter and, and certainly Animal House. I'm, I'm not sure we can even continue to have conversations until you come back and tell me you have seen Animal House. Um, but Verna Bloom passed away at the age of 80. All right, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about on today's program. Why people why people justifiably distrust the mainstream media. Have you ever been to a baseball game or a football game or a basketball game and had to sit behind the shrieker? And a civil war is breaking out among Democrats. Who will win? That is all coming up. Don't go anywhere. It's 1256. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. It's 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I understand people in the mainstream media hate it. Hate it when they get the fake news label put on them. Oh, we're not biased. Well, I guess the problem with that is, and what I've always said is, if you don't want to accuse, be accused of spreading fake news, then, then don't spread fake news. There's, there's a couple of real interesting examples of this that we're going to use to talk about the larger point here. Um, the, the other night... President Trump gives a speech from the Oval Office. If you watched it on um, the Fox affiliate in in Seattle, uh, Q13, that was what the station is. If you watched it, what you saw, it, the, the footage is President Trump with a larger than normal head, his skin with a Cheetos-like orange tint, and during his speech, the president's tongue ha- hung out of his mouth between sentences. I mean, and that, that, that aired. And it, it caught the attention of, of people who said, well, what's, what's going on here? You know, is, is this how the president really looks? Well, it turns out that what happened is you had an employee at this TV station that decided that what they were going to do is they were going to doctor the footage um they, they call this thing deep fakes that's that's what it's known as it's footage that's tweaked with advanced apps and other technology to create clips of actual figures in sit- situations that they they were never in were saying things that they didn't say so you have somebody who is an editor at this tv station who decides I don't like Donald Trump, so I'm going to screw with this, and I'm going to alter the the color of his skin, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to do something technolo- technologically to you know a- adjust. I'm going to make it look like his tongue is hanging out and these types of things. Ha, 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 isn't this going to be funny? And it runs on the TV station. So ultimately, people notice it. He gets called on it, and the guy gets fired. But, but this idea that there are not people out in the media who are ready and willing and able to do pretty much anything that they feel they can do to subvert President Trump, they're out there, they're willing to do it. Here's another example. Now, now CNN, and I, I get what's going on with CNN, just like I get what's going on at the New York Times. 
CNN is in the business of selling commercial time, and to sell commercial time, you need to get eyeballs, people watching you. And what they have decided to do, I think they've made this business decision that we are going to go after, we're going to compete with MSNBC for being the anti-Trump network. And we're going to try to appeal to the anti-Trump viewers. And so that's what's going to have the coverage leans. That's what we're going to focus on. And and financially, it is in our interest to do that because, all right, if we can get at least short term, if we can get the hardcore Trump haters that are out there to watch us because we know we're going to be feeding them the anti-Trump stories, it will work for us. The New York Times does the same thing. The New York Times digital subscriptions have gone up dramatically over the course of the last year and a half. But the majority of people who are doing this are people who, again, they they don't like President Trump. And so they're subscribing to the New York Times digital feed so they can read stories that support their belief. Here, you know, we don't like Trump. And so it becomes this like giant echo chamber, which is fine as far as it goes, but it's not news reporting. It's not. What it's doing is making a business decision. This is what our audience wants. And so we're going to provide it to this segment of the audience. And and I guess that, that's all well and good, but it's really not journalism. It's just it's not. It, it's entertainment and opinion based entertainment. All right. So here, here's apparently what happened that President Trump goes to the border. And the idea is we're, we're going to show why we need a wall. All right. So CNN reaches out to a local television station in San Diego and they say, can, can you help us out? Um, we, we know the president's down there. What we want to do is, is we want to talk about, you know, border security. And we'd like you, this is CNN asking the station in, uh, in, uh, San Diego. We'd like you to offer a reporter to offer the local view of the debate. You guys, you, you know, tell us, you know, we want to put somebody on the air to tell us, do you really need a wall? And the local TV station, it's uh, KUSI, they say, sure, we're, we're delighted to provide you a, a reporter. But just so you know, um, our reporter, consistent with what our reporting has been, our reporter is going to say that, yeah, we, we think a, a wall is is a good thing, and it's supported by a lot of the people down here in San Diego. Now, and so, just so you know, we're, we're going to have somebody on, but that, that's what they're, they're going to say. At which point in time, CNN, well, this is the way the TV station says, after we told this to CNN, CNN declined to have us on their programs which often present the wall is not required in other places like the stretch of the Texas border the president visited. They didn't like what they heard from us. And as a result, they declined this report that they had asked for from us because we informed them that most Border Patrol agents we have spoken to told us that a barrier does, in fact, work. And after being confronted with that, CNN apparently said, oh, well, then never mind. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I understand people in the mainstream media don't like it when the president attacks them for for fake news. I understand that people in the mainstream media don't like to be accused to be enemy of being enemies of the people and things like that. And I'll be the first to tell you that I think that some of the rhetoric is overheated. 
having said that, though, having said that, though, I continue to believe that places like the New York Times or CNN or whatever, they bring a lot of it on themselves by presenting a slant which in this case, I think it. I think it's driven by economics as much as anything else. We're going after the portion of the viewing public that doesn't like Donald Trump. So you know, we're going to we're going to air stuff that again reinforces their views of the world, and that's what we're going to do. And so they're going to be more inclined to watch us. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let Let's just ask this in its most basic form. All right, do you trust? Do you trust the information that you are getting from some of the main mainstream media outlets? 414-799-1620. This is another example that, that's out there. You know, CNN apparently asked this local TV station in San Diego, hey, we want to talk to somebody. And then they backed out, at least allegedly, after they were told it did not support their conclusion. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. 116, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One nineteen, Jeff Wagner, WTM. Jeff, you're just tuning in. Here, here's the story. Uh, president, of course, we've got the government shutdown over issues about the wall, the security border, or or whatever. CNN reaches out to a TV station in San Diego, which is of course on the border, and they say we, we'd like to have one of your reporters on because we're we're doing the story about um, you know border security. The premise of CNN is that the, the wall doesn't make any difference. And and the TV station says, well, yeah, we, we'd be glad to participate. But just so you know, we do stories like this all the time. And the Border Patrol agents that we talk to here, they say a physical barrier does work. At which point in time, CNN goes, well, humana, humana. Well, then we don't want your reporter. You know, it's like, we don't, we, don't you understand? That doesn't fit the narrative. Thanks, but but no thanks. Which raises this larger question of, do you trust the information that you are being provided? Let's start with Bradley in Green Bay. Bradley or WTMJ? Hey, Jeff. Happy Friday. Same to you, sir. We uh, made it. Real quick. I'll just make my point real quick, and that is that journalism should be unbiased. It really should. But obviously, CNN was seeking, as you said, their narrative. And, you know, maybe they asked 10 people. And of those 10 people or 10 reporters, maybe five of them would say, yeah, we we agree with your, your narrative. And we, you know, so it's unflattering, definitely, for CNN, the picking and choosing. But I think that my, my bigger point is that it goes on on both sides. And, and, and I won't get too detailed on that. I'll just say this, that, you know, Hannity, Sean Hannity was yep. just quoting, you know, Jim Acosta at this wall and calling him out for saying, hey, this, you know, everything's calm here in McLean, uh, Texas. Everything's fine. And he's like, yeah, because you're standing in front of a right. wall, Jim, it right. works. Yeah. But they didn't show, they didn't show that to his left 10 feet, there was a little chain link fence that anybody could have jumped over. They didn't show that 10 feet the other way, there was no wall at all. So it's, it's this perspective. And if you want to, you know, if you can't play it both ways. You have to tell the whole story. And journalists are failing miserably. And I'm not excusing CNN. Well, well, right. I'm not and excusing see, Fox News. Yeah, and see, Bradley, and I, I see, and that's where that is the larger point. And that's that's what needs to be hit home. 
that the journalists, in my opinion, are failing in large measure. And, and does, does Fox News have a conservative bent? Of course they do. They, they, they do. Um, CNN, MSNBC, and a lot of the mainstream, other mainstream networks, do they have a liberal bias? Absolutely. And I guess, see, that's the frustrating thing to me is the fact that nobody wants to, nobody wants to acknowledge that this is going on. It's not journalism anymore. It's not reporting facts. It is opinion-based presentations. Okay, I do an opinion-based talk show. All right, I am the. I always considered myself to be sort of the the oral equivalent of like an editorial writer. But I, I make no bones about it. But I'm not pretending that I don't have a point of view. One of the things that has really come to a head over the course of the last few years is I think it, it has been apparent that now it's not just Fox News and it's not just MSNBC, but it's CNN, it's the New York Times, it's all these places. And what they are doing is they've gotten away from journalism. They've gotten into, uh, again, let's let's incorporate, quote-unquote, analysis or opinion into the news stories. And that's going on on a regular basis. I mean, here, here's what happens. And, again, I, I think you, you, you follow the money. That that's what you see. It goes back to the old Watergate thing, right? Again, go back to the example. New York Times, their digital subscriptions are up, all right? They're, they're up dramatically, and what they're finding is that people who don't like President Trump are are subscribing. And so what they end up doing is it, it becomes like the self-fulfilling prophecy. Here, the people that don't like Trump like to read our stories ripping Trump. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start to run more and more stories that are ripping Trump. No, we can't put in good Trump stories because that's going to alienate. Then the people are going to say, well, I, I didn't buy this newspaper to read good things about Donald Trump. I, 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 I read it to reinforce my view that President Trump is, is awful. And, and again, I, I understand you can say that's the same thing that's going on at Fox News or whatever my point though is that you're you're not getting it anywhere anymore and it is these biases that have creeped in and of course what's so frustrating is that you have reporters or you have editors um, who just who pretend that that's not the reality and it is in fact the reality Joe and Jackson Joe you're on WTMJ good afternoon hey how are you doing real well thank you what do you think well, I, I, I was uh, telling the screener that one of my things is that, it, you know, what is considered conservative and liberal is what's really starting to get to me. I mean, the issues have been so flip-flopped from, you know, just since Reagan. I mean, there was a point in time where the unions wanted NAFTA to go away. The unions wanted illegal immigration to decrease. And unions are typically considered to be a democratic force. So I, I don't know. It's like now the Democrats don't want to support um, Trump's move to do this. And it's like the the Trump's move to do this is actually what I would have historically considered to be a democratic move. I, I, well, or right, or let, let's talk about tariffs. Yeah, I mean, President Trump. I, look, I, I I'm. I'm the type of conservative. I don't believe trade wars are good. I'm a free trade type of guy. Um, I, I never thought you'd see a Republican president talking about, hey, let's impose the, these huge tariffs. I, I mean, I agree. What it means to be a conservative and what it means to be a liberal, I don't know. Th- those definitions have been completely turned on their on their head, I think, over the last decade. So would you, I mean, all right, so would, uh, I'm not trying to take away from your subject, but to add to your subject. When, when I'm, when I would, because I don't consider myself, I, I don't uh, subscribe to the whole two party system, the, the idea that you can either be a liberal or conservative and that's it. I don't, that's silliness to me. I think that's, that's ridiculous. But the notion that there are so many people who call themselves conservatives who support Trump on this, 
when it's really historically not yeah. a conservative move. That's that's what is is mind boggling to me. Well, I, I mean, no, I I agree. I mean, no, thanks for there's, there's all sorts of things that President Trump ha- has done that I would not consider to be certainly in line with what would be classic conservatism. I, I I'll tell you the. The, the decision to, you know, pull out of, of Syria and to pull out of Afghanistan. That is not a, a classic conservative move. Um, his worldview to me is, is not a classic conservative view. I mean, I understand this America first thing, but I, I think, you know, you, you go back to Ronald Reagan, for example, and you, you, you have this, uh, I think there's this general sentiment that, you know, that the world is a big, scary place that's out there, and the U.S. has a role in that as the leader of the free world. I'm not sure that President Trump shares that. So, I mean, it's I, I do agree that this stuff is all turned on its end. But the, the bottom line here is for everybody in the mainstream media who just cringes when they hear the president complain about fake news, and I don't believe reporters are the enemy of the people or things like that, but I, I do think – that it's less nowadays about reporting facts and it's more about let's give our perceived demographic group or our perceived audience, let's give them what they want. And again, let's adjust the reporting to accommodate that. And that's fine as far as it goes. But, you know, where are we going to be five years from now and where are we going to be 10 years from now? That's what I seriously wonder. It's 127, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One thirty-six, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I love going to live sporting events. Go to a bunch of Brewers games during the year. Have season tickets to the Marquette basketball games. Love going there. I go to an occasional Packer game. I haven't been to a Bucks game this year. Haven't been to a Bucks game this year. Need somebody to maybe maybe somebody here at Good Karma. Maybe somebody's got a couple like extra tickets fly, lying around or something like that. But I, I, but I, I like going to live sporting events. I I think there's there's stuff that you give up. As far as you know, going to the events, there's you got to buy thirteen dollar beers, and sometimes there's lines in the bathroom and things like that. But I, I I enjoy the experience. I think it's fun to be in a crowd. Now there are certain things that you know go with that, and occasionally when you're in the crowd, you get that obnoxious fan that that's around you. I mean, I've told this story before on the radio years and years ago. I was at a Bucks game. It was back, it was before Jason Kidd was the Bucks coach. It was back when Jason Kidd was a player. And I, I think the Bucks were playing the New Jersey Nets at the time. This was before they moved to Brooklyn. And Jason Kidd had had been arrested or accused of uh, domestic violence. And I, there's a guy behind me who every time Jason Kidd touched the ball, would scream at the top of his lungs, wife beater, right? Well, I I don't know it was ever cute, but after about the third time, and it's at the top of his lungs, after about the third time, to the extent it was ever cute, it's not funny anymore. It's just annoying. But the guy paid for his seat, and I mean, he wasn't being obscene. He's just screaming, wife beater, like he thinks he's clever. 
every time Jason Kidd touches the ball. And Jason Kidd was the point guard, so he touched the ball a lot. It got really old. And so everybody in the section, you're kind of turning around, giving the guy the bad. Like, he doesn't care. He paid for his ticket. If he wants to scream at the top of his lungs, he doesn't care what anybody else thinks about that. So occasionally when you go to these live sporting events, you're going to get that. And I understand there's really a fine line. You know, you go to a sporting event and you want to cheer and you want to support your crowd. That means that sometimes people are going to stand up and sometimes people are are going to yell. I I mean, I understand it. It's not like you're going to the symphony where you're supposed to sit quietly and, you know, until the end and then you applaud politely. I, I understand that. So there's always this balancing that's there between the person that wants to go and support their team and the person who just crosses the line and is loud and obnoxious. All right. Which brings me to the story of what everybody describes as a wonderful young lady. Her name is Emily Harriet. She is she goes to Northwestern and she is a huge Northwestern basketball fan. People don't know her, though, as Emily. What people know her as is the Shrieker. And what she will do is she will go to basketball games and she will shriek. Um, You know, let out this just high-pitched scream. And she'll do it when the other team has the ball. She'll do it during timeouts. She'll do it, you know, when other teams at the free throw line. She is known as the shrieker. And apparently she shrieks so loudly that it's oftentimes picked up on the TV broadcasts. It's picked up all over the arena. She's screaming at the top of her lungs in this high-pitched shriek. All right. Now, she's been doing this for a while, and, and she's she's the president of the Northwestern Wild Side, which is the official Northwestern University student section. So I mean, she, she's a fan, but she, she's doing this because I'm going to shriek. She regularly meets with the athletic departments, the heads of the athletic department to talk about issues. Because, like I said, she's the she's kind of in charge of the student section and. Apparently, during the last meeting they had, the the officials at Northwestern bring up the the subject of shrieking. Um, Emily, we've been getting a lot of conversation and comments and complaints about you shrieking at the top of of your lungs. Uh, A lot of people are are just saying they're annoyed by this. And so she says, well, um, you know, what, what, what do you think about that? And Northwestern, the athletic department says, how about we not do that anymore? <laughs> you know, we, we, we don't want you to do that. And she says, well, it, there's a big story in the Chicago Tribune. This caught me by surprise because I, I have been, I have been doing this, you know, for a while, but now they've asked me to, to stop doing it. And I'm, I'm a Northwestern fan. And so they've asked me to stop doing it. So I'm going to stop screaming at the top of my, my lungs. I'm going to stop the shrieking. Well, this story, ran in the Chicago Tribune yesterday. It It is now, I hate the phrase gone viral because it's a cliche, but it is gone viral. I mean, th- this story it was all over ESPN yesterday. It, it's starting to infiltrate into, like, the national news. The, the whole notion that, that the school is trying to, quote-unquote, silence one of the students by saying, we, we don't want you to do that anymore. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Whether it's Northwestern University's athletic department or Marquette's athletic department or the Bucks or the Brewers or whatever, 
do you think it is reasonable? Now she's not being she's she's not screaming obscene things. It's not like she's you know being drunk and boorish. She just she shrieks. All right, are they going too far in asking her to knock it off? And when you have, my guess is perhaps you have been to a sporting event and you've had somebody like this. Maybe they're not shrieking, but they're screaming or they're yelling wife beater or whatever. Do they, do you think people have an absolute right to do that? Or are the teams, the schools, are they within their rights to say, hey, we, we'd appreciate you not do this anymore because it's disturbing all sorts of other people. 414-799-1620, where does the right of the fan to be a fan end? You know, where does that stop and the right of other fans to maybe be able to enjoy the game without having somebody shrieking loudly like a fire alarm? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. Rue is lining up the calls. We're back to talk about it in just a moment. 143, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And I got to tell you, I mean, I, 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 I always think back to the game where I'm sitting at the Bucks game and they're relatively pricey tickets. I, I appreciate people cheering. I appreciate people yelling. I appreciate people screaming at the refs from time to time. Having a guy scream wife beater at the top of his lungs for four quarters of a basketball game definitely took away the enjoyment of the game for me, the people I was with, and I'm thinking, you know, everybody that was probably in that section. At the same time, he paid for his ticket. She paid for a ticket. Should she be allowed to shriek? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 144. This is Jeff Wagner. Forty-six, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's start with Michael on the north side. Hi, Michael. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Here's what I think. I think that, and I have a different perspective to this to bring. I think you should be able to yell as loud as you can. Now, I'm going to take it to a different perspective to say I go to a fairly large church, and I don't really want to mention the name. Okay. But anybody, it's in the Bible that it says Sabbath the Lord. And that means scream at the top of your lungs. And, the, and we have 1,500 members, and the church and the pastor say, let's shabak the Lord. So they scream. Then you might have somebody that just, in the middle of the service, just yell. But guess what? That's, that's, that's their right to do that. Well, yeah, but but it, we're not in a church service. I mean, let, we're, you're, I mean, there's, and my guess is that this is something that's expected and encouraged at your church. I mean, let's take an example of, for example, like the symphony, where people just kind of, you know, you sit and then you applaud at the end of movements or stuff. Do you think that people should just be able to stand up and shriek and scream just because they want to express themselves, even if that's going to cause problems for everybody else? How does that, because they're expressing themselves, how... My question to you, sure. how is that causing a problem when they just standing up cheering? Well, be, be, well I'm not, thanks for calling me. My answer would be because it's disturbing and, and, and it's, it's annoying and it's distracting. Sit for you know two hours and more at a basketball game wanting to concentrate on it and have somebody that's right behind you screaming at the top of their lungs, wife beater, 
you can't it's difficult to have a conversation it's difficult to concentrate on on the game yeah i mean i think yes i see i think there's a balancing and i'm not one of these guys who argue see at most churches you aren't encouraged to stand up in the middle and and scream at the church i go to I, I i don't think that that's that's not something that they would necessarily encourage you you to do but at the same time i i think you have every right to cheer and if if you did it okay if the guy the first three times he yells wife beater all right that that that's fine but after a while he's just doing it to be obnoxious and at some point in time the question becomes that d- does your right to be obnoxious trump the right of of other people to maybe enjoy it in a more generally acceptable way susan in milwaukee susan you're on wtmj susan you got turned on your radio oh hi susan hi um well, I can appreciate the fans' right to cheer or or boo or make a loud n- noise of any sort as long as it's not an obscenity because they've paid for their sure. ticket. I do not um, believe that it's fair to the other patrons around them who've also paid for their ticket to be... Uh, it's more than an inconvenience or a, it, it can ruin the entire experience of the game. And at some point, if it, I haven't heard the shrieker myself, but at some point, if the decibel level is really high, it could even become a, a health or safety hazard to somebody's hearing. If, if people go to a rock concert, yeah. they may choose to bring earplugs so that they're, that they can, hear yeah. the concert without damaging their hearing. I don't wear earplugs at concerts, but some people I see choose to. Yeah. If you go to a basketball game or a sporting event, you you're don't plan to bring earplugs to a basketball game because the noise level isn't supposed to be well, right. of a rock concert. So, yeah, and, and I don't, I mean, thanks to call. I, I don't think anybody's arguing that there's going to be like permanent hearing loss, but they're arguing that this is an annoyance. And, and I think it can be. And there, there, again, there's that balancing. I'm not saying sporting events or, or churches and all, but if you're sitting there and, I mean, there's a time when people cheer and they yell and they applaud and they get up and they jump around. And I, I understand all that. That's the fun part of going to events. But there, there's always this line that I think that people can cross where you, you stop being a supportive fan and you just kind of become an obnoxious bore. And a lot of times, and I don't think it's the case, that this, this is just – this is this gal's shtick. And, and, but I think sometimes people do it because they want to call attention to themselves and it's all about them. And here, I want to get the attention by doing it. I mean, here, here's, I mean, there's another example of this. It's the person that stands up all the time. Now, look, I understand there are times when you stand up and applaud, but there's a reason why you pay for seats, and that is to sit down. And, you know, you, you go to all these events a lot of times, and there's always somebody who decides that they're, they're going to stand, and they're going to stand for, like, the entire game. Now, I would care less if they decide that they want to stand themselves. But generally speaking, when they stand in their seat, depending on the angle, they're, they're blocking all sorts of other people who then have to stand. And then the more people that have to stand, well, then, you know, so all these people end up standing because you've got one guy that refuses to to sit down. Now, again, I, I get it. Go to a Packers game. It's not church. There's times you stand up. There's times you applaud. And there might be times that everybody else stands up that you don't feel like doing it. Well, I don't think you have a beef to yell, everybody sit down. But where you've got that one one guy or gal that decides this is the moment that they're going to stand up, I think that's that's annoying. 
And I, I think you have every right to say, hey, buddy, sit down. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I think it's fine to do this sternly, like if your favorite player comes up to the plate or something. But sure. this streaker is excessive, and she is a reason why I am a big fan of it. Sign at Miller Park that says, to report unruly behavior, text this number or whatever it is. Do you think that's unruly? Do you think that the person that's yelling and screaming at the top of their lungs constantly, that that would qualify as unruly? Oh, of course. Yeah, because yeah, it's, it's a constant thing. You're being constantly subjected to it. Uh, they may have paid for their ticket, but so did everybody else around them. And then it goes back to Spock. The needs of the, the many outweigh the needs of the one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, anytime we can work in Star Trek, I'm all in favor of it. Here, <laughs> Good for you, Jeff. Here we go. Uh, Jeff, we drove from southern Wisconsin to Minneapolis to watch a Taylor Swift concert with my daughters. We had to look left to view the stage, and the two girls in front of us held up large posters to block our view through the first several songs. My kind request to their mothers to lower them was not met without a lot of comments. Eventually, they got tired and put them down, but it was a half hour of nervous discussion. Yeah, it, it's, it is that it is that balancing act that, that's there. You want to be supportive, etc., but you've got other people that are there, and, and they, look, they, they have their expectations too. Now, I understand, for example, that there are, are some concerts that you go to and you know nobody's going to sit for the whole concert. I mean, that that's... That, that's I have been to those. You just kind of you go in and you understand. Okay, this is the crowd. Everybody is going to stand for this. So if you're going to go to the concert, be prepared for that. But that's not typically the experience for a three-hour baseball game or a three-hour football game or a two and a half-hour basketball game. Let's see, Jeff. Michigan State fans are the worst at Badger football games. They stand the whole game, even at halftime. Uh, Jill, who's down in uh, Inverness, Florida, says you do have the right to cheer, but you need to be respectful to others. I guess that's that's only that's only my point that, you know, there there is this balancing. And anyway, I'm this lady. She's this gal. She's getting her 15 minutes of fame because, you know, she's making the rounds of TV shows. And and I don't fault her. She says, hey, Northwestern asked me to stop doing this, I'm going to stop doing it. it it's okay. I mean, I, I love the team. If they say I'm annoying all sorts of people, that that's fine. A lot of people are saying, well, you shouldn't ask her to stop. To me, yeah, they should ask her to stop if it was annoying a whole bunch of people. Just saying. It's 155. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 207. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Melissa, hang around for just a minute. Okay, I, I need some volunteers. The, the only criteria here is that you need to... Consider yourself to be politically savvy, you know, maybe a news junkie or whatever. But just just a couple volunteers for a question. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. Just a, a couple volunteers. Only criteria. I have a question to ask. Only criteria would be that you consider yourself to be, uh, again, politically savvy, maybe a news junkie, aware of events. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. And, Gru, when you're lining up the call, it's just the person's name and, and where they're from. Just have just have a question to put to you. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Seamless, I want to do this with some of the callers because I don't want to put you directly on the on the spot for this. Oh, so, you don't like doing that to me? 
Well, no, I've been do- I've been afraid I've been doing it too much <laughs> to you. No, you're fine. You're fine. No, I've been afraid I've been doing it too much oh, to you. No. Okay, so let me let me just let me let Gru line up a couple of these. But I I will ask you I will ask you this as well. But I'm going to give you a moment to perhaps think about it. I'm going to okay. put this down as as a surprise for some of the callers. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. All right, we're just going to take a couple. Let's start with Gary in Sussex. Gary, good afternoon. Yeah. All right. Thank I, um, thanks for calling. All right. You remember Al Gore, right? Of course. Who was Al Gore's running mate in 2000? Oh. You know what? You don't remember. You got me. Okay. All right. No, all right. Fair, fair enough. Thanks for the call. Dave in Kenosha. Dave, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Do you remember who Al Gore's running mate was in, in 2000? Joe Lieberman. Joe Lieberman. Very good. Sherry and Franklin. Sherry, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Okay, Al, Al Gore's running mate in 2000 was? Uh, Joe Lieberman. Did you know that before the guy in front of you said that? No, I did not. Okay, fair. <laughs> Sherry, you're like me. I didn't know. Okay, fair enough. Thank, thanks for calling. No, fair enough. I, I appreciate that candor. All right, would you have known, Melissa? I would, you know, I had forgotten, yeah. You, you had forgotten, okay. I would forgotten, yeah. All right, well, but there's no, there's no harm in that. And, of course, I'm looking at my producer who earlier said that he's never seen Animal House. If... You okay? So you were eleven. All right, you you were eleven. So that's a justification for not knowing who the running mate was in two thousand. That uh, eleven. He's he's eleven years old. You can't expect me to know. Well, you're twenty nine now. I mean, somewhere somewhere between eleven and twenty nine. Maybe you know you would have figured out like who. All right. He says oh, I was eleven. You can't expect me to know, which might be one of the problems why people don't know history. I'm just just saying that. In any event. Yes, he was right. Um, Joe Lieberman was Al Gore's running mate in 2000. Joe Lieberman was, uh, he, he recently, he retired, well, a, a little while back. Joe Lieberman was the U.S. Senator from uh, Connecticut, and he served three terms as, uh, let's see, he was in the Connecticut Senate. He served three terms as Majority Leader. Um, he ended up uh, being, he was State Attorney General. He um, ended up being in the U.S. Senate. He represented Connecticut from 1989 to 2013. And he was Al Gore's running mate in 2000 and came very close to being the vice president of the United States. There's still some people who think that George Bush really didn't win the, if not for the Supreme Court, Bush would not have been the president. But that's Joe Lieberman. Joe Lieberman is what I think you could fairly describe as as a centrist Democrat, sort of in the the Bill Clinton mode. Bill Clinton was a a center-left Democrat. He was not, and you know, for say what you want about Clinton, like him or, or love him, he was he was somebody who he had some liberal tendencies, but he was a center left Democrat because he thinks I think he believed that that's where the majority of the country was. Well, Joe Lieberman is is back in in the news. Joe Lieberman right now is seventy six years old, and he's started commenting on the Democratic Party. One of the things that happened in the last election was you had this whole new wave of freshman congressmen and women, freshman congressmen and congresswomen, who, who were elected as Democrats. Democrats take control, retake control of the House of Representatives. But many of them are very far to the left. And the face of the, the new Democratic Party is this, you know, the 21, 29-year-old 
congresswoman from New York City who beat the longstanding incumbent. You know, her name is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And, and she's been getting more than her 15 minutes of fame. She was on 60 Minutes the other night talking about the, the new sort of Democrat New Deal, talking about how she'd like to see marginal tax rates increased up to 70% on on the highest earners, talking about how she wants to see socialized medicine, Medicare for all. We're actually going to do an interesting topic about that probably sometime next week because, you know, for everybody that talks about Medicare for government, government health insurance, do you realize that even with Medicare, there's about 30 or 40% of the people who, who don't get Medicare, they get their insurance through private insurance companies, through like the Medicare Advantage plans. And so, you know, when, when people talk about Medicare for all, just so senior citizens know that, in many cases, they're talking about doing away with Medicare Advantage plans and saying, okay, everybody's going to be now just on, on Medicare. It's going to be a government-run health thing. In any event, uh, Cortez, this is one of the things she's in favor of. Okay, we're going to essentially have socialized medicine, and what we're going to do is we're going to have these incredibly high tax brackets, and what we're going to do is we're going to declare war on fossil fuels and we're going to raise all this money and we're going to put it towards renewable energies and things like that. Complete replacement of the power grid. Really far left stuff. Right. Well, Joe Lieberman comes out and, and he's talking about that. You know, he says, look, this, this is he does an interview with Fox Business Network and he essentially says, look, I don't think this is the future of the Democratic Party. I, I don't believe she is because th- this is not where the country is. He says, look, I think the country is essentially either center-right or center-left, but it's not left-left. And if you look at at least some of the people that were elected, they're not far left-wing. They're, they're center-left because that's what you need to do to win congressional districts. Um, he said, I think you have to be center-left to win. And if if we decide that we're going to go completely far left, we're, the, the country's not going to be with us. We might have some hardcore folks that are there, but the country's not with us. We're, we're going to end up losing. So um, Congresswoman Cortez, she's now getting so she gets some criticism from Lieberman. But Lieberman's not acting alone. Lieberman, this is this is an ongoing debate now among particularly a lot of the Democrats who've been in Congress for a while. They're going, yeah, look, we're, we're not ready. The country's not ready to go to this extreme. So in response to Lieberman's comments about, hey, I don't think this is where Democrats need to be, she sends out a four-word tweet. New party, who dis? And, and who dis is, that's what you, that, that, that's kind of a derogatory thing that you, you send out on a tweet when it's like, you know, who, who cares what this person thinks? You know, who, who dis? What, what does it matter? So that, that's her response, and it's kind of like, hey, Lieberman's 76 years old. I'm 29. I am the future. The future for us is all these different types of things, the socialized medicine and the high tax rates and the let's, you know, revamp our power grid, all those type of things. Lieberman is saying, hey, the country's not there. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
I admit that I am intrigued by this because, you know, we've spent, there's a lot of time and a lot of effort that's been spent over the last couple of years talking about this debate on the conservative side. It's, you know, is Trump a conservative? You know, is the Republican Party switching to conservatism? How does the Tea Party interact with more typical mainstream, you know, conservatism and Republicans? All right, now the left is starting to see the same thing. You've got the Joe Lieberman Democrats saying, hey, this country, maybe we can win elections by being center-left, but if we go out on this fringe, it's going to doom us. And then you've got, again, the left-left members of the Democratic Party tend to be younger, tend to be newer. They're going, no way. You know, this is what we want. High marginal tax rates, socialized medicine. This is where the country is. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this country really ready to move far left or is Lieberman right in saying, is Lieberman correct in saying, hey, country's not with us? All right, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, uh, and happy new year. Same to you, sir. Yeah, you know, and uh, as one of the uh, dying breed of uh, moderate Democrats, I agree with Joe Lieberman. Uh, the fact is, is that you 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 can't be this radical left and and uh, and believe that the party is going to survive and this country is going to survive. When you have individuals going to these extremes left and to the extreme right, mm-hmm. then there's no there's no room for compromise. And so and so that's that's what happens. That's why this country doesn't move; it becomes stagnant. And so uh, 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 Joe Lieberman is exactly right. And, and it's good to have young people come up and and and. And began to uh, be engaged in, in politics sure. and things of that sort. But the fact is, you need to learn from the older individuals who are there, who have been through the battles, who, have, who understand the policies. And when you when you decide not to listen to them mm-hmm. and, and 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 go off to this uh, this, this radical way, the fact is, it, it, it's just not good for anyone. Well, no, I mean, thanks for calling. It's, it's interesting, and she's in, among Democrats. I've been I've been fascinated by this. She she's sort of viewed as more of an activist and less of a of a lawmaker. And I mean, she's clearly enjoying her fifteen minutes of fame, and that and that's great. But I I just somebody was asking me today. Do you think Donald Trump gets reelected? And and I said, well, I don't know. Well, what do you mean you don't know? I said, well, a lot of it depends. Of course, you know, two years is a long time in politics. But I said a lot of it also depends on who the Democrats, assuming that Donald Trump is the Republican nominee, it's who the Democrats put up to run against him. If you have a center or center left Democrat, male or female, I think that okay, that's that's going to be probably someone who maybe Trump's going to have some problem beating. On the other hand, if you put up somebody from the crazy left, I don't think this country is ready to embrace socialism. There might be some people in this country that are, but in general, I think we continue to be a, a center, either center right or center left country. I think if you have people that start talking about confiscatory tax rates and socialized medicine and here we're going to completely redo the power grid and all these different sort of pie in the sky things and, and say, okay, you know, we want America to be like Argentina or Venezuela or something like that. It's going to scare the blank out of a lot of the American public. And yes, that provides an, an opening for Donald Trump to get reelected. That's that's the issue that, that's out there. And you're already starting to see this play out between old and maybe it's a generational thing as well. I, I, I It might be. But you have, you know, more experienced 
more moderate Democrats who are concerned about their party being hijacked by the extreme left, just like I think there are moderate Republicans, and I don't say that as a bad way, who are concerned about their party being hijacked by the extreme right. Sam and McHenry. Sam, you're on WTMJ. Uh, thanks for having me on, Joe. Yes, sir. Well, it, you know, funny it's happening in the midst of this government shutdown because you get someone in there that's real radical, just plan on more of this stuff because nobody's going to ever agree on anything right. anymore. You know, this, this all the stuff that that girl is floating, uh, it, it'll shut the country down. It, that's all there is to it. And we just went through an election where we were kind of going down that road with Obama, and Trump came along and said, you see what this is all doing? And he won. So they're going to have to find a Jim Webb or a Joe Manchin. They won't, they won't pick those guys because they're just not radical enough. Right. So I think if you had Lieberman in there right now, you might get to a quicker uh, conclusion on this shutdown because mm-hmm. he is a little bit more reasonable in his thinking. But they don't want that guy around. And you can see it in her comment to him. Well, right. You know, let me get. I mean, thanks to call. I mean, let me tell you. I mean, if you were, if you were to ask me, what, which Democrat, if the presidential election were a week from now, which Democrat has the a month from now, give some time for the campaign, has the best chance of beating Donald Trump? My, I would say, you know, Joe Biden. I mean, I, I got to tell you, there's got to be, a, there should be a lot of Republicans if you want to continue to have Republicans control the White House that should be scared that that Biden is ultimately going to be the Democratic nominee. Why? Because Biden is, I think, one of these mainstream sort of center left Democrats who he's not going to scare. He's not going to scare the middle of of America. Maybe some people say he should, but 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 he's not. I mean, he's not going to be one of those guys that says, "All right, we're we're this the American system and this American experiment. It hasn't worked, and what we need to do is we we need to again move to these socialist type of things." Would would Biden be a left leaning president? Absolutely, but he's not over at this far left extreme. Look, I don't know. Maybe sometime in my lifetime, this country will move to the far left. But I firmly believe it, it's not there now. Here is the problem that Nancy Pelosi is going to have, though, and Chuck Schumer is going to have, and Democratic voters are going to have. It's you, you have the, this new sort of younger, more radical uh, set of representatives who've come up in the, the era of Donald Trump, and they're all about the resistance, and this is what we've got to do, and we've got to go to this far left. And then you have, I, I think, another generation of Democrat leaders, maybe the people who came around under Clinton or even to Obama to an extent, who are thinking, you know, this this is just not the way to win elections. If we go too far to one side, it's going to blow up in our face. It's going to be fascinating to watch. And it's already started. And Democrats have only controlled the House for, what, about a week. 225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If, if you just want another example of the insanity of the inability of people in Washington to get their act together enough to continue to fund the government, this is the latest story. The, um, the House of Representatives, on a vote of 411 to 7, approved a measure. Glenn Grothman, my congressman, Glenn. I, uh, we used to debate against each other in high school. Uh, he was one of the seven who voted against it. Here's what the, the resolution, the measure guarantees all government workers that they will receive back pay once the 
government shutdown, partial government shutdown is over. Guarantees are not just the workers who are working, not just the one who are required to work, but all government workers will get back pay. So that means what essentially is happening now is that the people who are furloughed, who are non-essential, who aren't working, they are essentially now on a paid vacation. It's it's a paid. Now, I understand there's an inconvenience because they were counting on getting a paycheck on Friday. And, and again, I, I it's unacceptable to me that we have something like this going on. But now they have been guaranteed that they are going to receive full back pay, at which point in time. Now, if you're a federal employee, other than the inconvenience of, gee, I don't have the money coming in. You're now on a paid vacation. You know, Grothman's point is he said, look, um, it's it's pretty generous to guarantee back pay to workers in a scenario like this in an extended shutdown when they might not be working for months. So, But again, the, the larger point here, whether you agree with Glenn's vote or not, the larger point is how how silly is this that now you're in a situation where you have people who aren't working and they've now been promised that, again, President Trump apparently says he's going to sign this. They've now been promised. They're not working. So they have now been promised whenever you go back to work, you you are going to get all your back pay. Maybe it'll be a month's worth. Maybe it'll be three months. Maybe it'll be six months. So my, my question is, all right, so not so much should we be paying people under these circumstances, but how can we let these circumstances occur in the first place? I mean, now, you know, where are the deficit hawks? We're, we're now giving, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks of paid vacation on top of what government workers normally get. And this isn't an anti-government worker thing. It is a call for calmer heads to prevail. Get back together. Let's get the government reopened. And if that means President Trump has to negotiate on the, the fence, then he should do it. If it means that Democrats need to give some money for border security and some of it can be used to build a fence well do it just get this all done grow up for the love of god it's 235 jeff wagner wtmj so very glad to have you with us Uh, again the um it's tough to describe it as a as a feel good story because it's just a tragic story no matter how you cut it but the Discovery of this this young woman, Jamie Kloss, uh, finding her safe yesterday is just I, I described it earlier as one of the most amazing stories of the decade because at, at, at horrible circumstances. This 21 year old guy who apparently was stalking her decided to try to kidnap her, ended up murdering her parents. And, and so, I mean, I understand that there's a murder. There, there's no silver lining in this particular thing, except the fact that. In these sort of cases, you almost never find the, the kidnapped victim alive. That, that almost never happens. In this case, they, they did. And um, it doesn't sound like she was – it doesn't sound like there were tur- – I'm sure there's all sorts of psychic scars and stuff, and who knows what happened. But, but she's now – she's back, and she's going to be reunited with her family. And that really is just – it's an amazing sort of story. And uh, more, as more details come out, I think it's going to be – we're going to learn what this – girl went through by this psychopath that ended up kidnapping her and killing her parents but she is alive and that's the that's the 
that aspect of the story is the feel-good story of the week. All right. It's the last half hour of the show on Friday. What we do is we kind of put aside the heavy lifting and we stop talking about should we be pulling out of Syria and we stop discussing, all right, what's going on with the Evers administration and we stop talking about, you know, what's the latest thing going on in Washington and we try to Have a little bit of fun going into the good weekend. I call the segment Pop Culture Corner. Sometimes we talk about food, sometimes travel, sometimes movies. It just depends on, you know, what has tickled my fancy in a particular week that I hope will tickle yours. Today, we turn our attention to the world of television. Well, television, what are you talking about, Jeff? Well, I I was, I I did not realize this at first, uh, but I, I noticed early this week that on on HBO, they were rerunning all six seasons or seven seasons of The Sopranos. The, the final season was the sixth season, but HBO divided into two, like, ten-segment sections. So they, they were rerunning The, the Sopranos, the, the TV show, from beginning to end. And I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. Why is that? Well, then I started poking around a little bit, and I realized that The Sopranos, that TV show, debuted 20 years ago this week. The Sopranos is 20 years old, and they had just the other night, they had a reunion of the surviving cast members, James Gandolfini, who played Tony Soprano. He passed away a couple years ago of a heart attack, but um, most of most of the main players in the cast are, are still with us, and they were bringing them in. And over the past week, despite the fact that I have seen the Sopranos multiple occasions, I mean, I watched it first time, first run, and I mean, I, I've seen it again in replays and on demands and stuff. I, I have found myself binge-watching it uh, during during the evenings, and I've, I have i don't want to say I've watched them all this week, but I mean, I have watched several of the episodes over the last few nights in between watching, you know, other stuff on, on television, and whenever I watch that, I'm struck by, number one, what a good show it was, and number two, just, just how groundbreaking it is. It was as far as kind of revamping TV, because in this particular case, the the, the hero, the anti-hero, normally in TV, you'd have the good guys and you'd have the bad guys. Well, you know, in, in the case of The Sopranos, the, the hero, the anti-hero, was, was a bad guy. He was a mobster. He was a murderer. All right. There's nothing redeeming uh, about it. He was somebody who preyed on the weaknesses of others. But at the same time, he was a mobster who had a family with a, a wife who kind of got on him with ungrateful kids, with all the problems that you would have of, with, of running like a small business where you've got unreliable people that are working with you. It was just, it was kind of revolutionary. It was groundbreaking. And I think it holds up very, very well. I mean, I, I enjoyed it a lot, the shows that I was watching. So I thought for Pop Culture Corner this week, in recognition of the 20th anniversary of the debut of The Sopranos, a great piece of TV, we would talk about television dramas. My question question is, the best TV drama ever, was it The Sopranos? Was it something before The Sopranos, like a St. Elsewhere, like a Hill Street Blues? Was it something after The Sopranos? The best TV drama ever, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As I always do during these segments, I encourage you to call quickly because our phone lines tend to jam up. And um, don't overthink it. There is no, there is no really wrong answer people have different opinions but the best tv drama 
If it's not the Sopranos, and it might be, what is it? 414-799-1620. Back to discuss in just a moment. 241, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two forty four, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. That of course is the song that became woke up this morning and became this known as the Sopranos theme song. Twenty years ago this week, the Sopranos debuted on HBO. It was transformative. I watched several of the shows this week and they they hold up well. It, it's it's amazing because you have a when you think about it, the, the lead character, Tony Soprano, played by James Gandolfini, just thoroughly I mean Dislikable in many res- in almost all respects. He's a mobster. He he kills people, and yet he's got all these other problems. And sometimes you, you find yourself you can't help it. You're rooting for him. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. What was the best TV drama ever? Let's start with Kay in Appleton. Hi Kay. Good afternoon. Hi Jeff. Oh, hands down, Bruce and Dad. Okay, tell me why. Oh my goodness. Well, it sucked me in. I watched the entire series three times. Mm-hmm. Um, for all of your listeners, I I recommend invest <laughs> the time. Um, you know, a, a lot of it was that I just kind of felt like you took an everyday, ordinary man who then succumbs to an awful disease like cancer, and you just right. starts out with uh, wanting to right. um, do what any of us would do, which is provide for our family. And then you kind of through the series, you would kind of watch him become the anti-hero and kind right. of. Watch him lose his soul. I think is the best description I've heard of it. Did but, you watch? Um, did you watch it from the beginning, or did you come in like in the middle and then go back and pick it up? I never. I didn't. While it was um, in its current running of seasons, right. I just kept hearing it was winning all these awards and all that, and I wasn't watching it at that time. I later got, got it, it from Netflix and watched it all. Yeah. Right. Got it. No thanks. And I think there's a lot of people that are discovering it. I mean, Brian Cranston. Who, you know, I mean, he, James Gandolfini was Tony Soprano. Brian Cranston was White, Walter White. And I mean, who, who saw that coming? And Brian Cranston was the dad and Malcolm in the middle. I mean, who knew he had that character in him? I mean, I, clearly without the Sopranos, there's not a Breaking Bad. Uh, and, and Breaking Bad, I would certainly put it right up there. No question about it. 414-799-1620. A couple of people on our text line are mentioning the Sons of Anarchy, which was the, the motorcycle show. I, um, you know, it's interesting that that to me that one carried it a little bit too far. That was about a you know, gun running motorcycle gang, and all of them were so dislikable. I, I just I, I couldn't root for any of them. Um, here's another text: NYPD Blue, uh, the the Andy Sipowitz character with uh, Dennis Franz who played that. That would that would certainly be one. I mean, that was. I don't think there's a Sopranos if there's not an NYPD Blue, and there's not an NYPD Blue if there's not a Hill Street Blues, which I think is an excellent one as well. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Russell in Brookfield. Russell, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Um, two that I always watched and were my favorites was uh, The Good Wife and uh, earlier ER. Mm-hmm. There was the same female lead in both whose name escapes Juliana Margulies. Juliana Margulies, yeah. Dark-haired beauty, and that yeah. was, she was. And I like both of those shows. I, it's one of those where I would never miss an episode, especially the Good Wife ones. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, mean, I, I got to tell you, I, I, I have not seen. I know what the Good Wife was. It ran on CBS. I, I haven't. I never watched the Good Wife, but I did certainly watch ER. And you're right, especially those those first. 
I mean, ER was part of that, that Thursday night NBC lineup of must-see TV, and you had um, Juliana Margulies, and you had George Clooney, and Anthony Edwards, and it, it real Noah Wiley, and it, it really was. I mean, it was must-see TV. Now, I think like a lot of shows, I think it might have stayed on the air too long, but those first four or five years, I mean, it kind of re reinvigorated the hospital procedural type of show. 414-799-1620. Tony in Waukesha. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Tony. Without a doubt, it's Law & Order. Okay, tell me why. Because of the, look at all the spinoffs that you have on it, just from that point itself. It's been around since 1990. The characters are strong. The characters even build upon themselves as they grow uh, yeah, they, I mean, thanks for the call. I mean, Law and Order, I mean, you want to talk about, the term they use is procedurals, which is kind of like, you know, the traditional type of thing where there's the, the crime, and then we show you the investigation of the crime, and then we show you the prosecution and how it turns out, and it all wraps up in, in the hour. I mean, Law and Order, uh, they, they, they clearly, they, they clearly, you know, got something right, and you're right with all the spinoffs. Okay, let's go back to the text line. Dexter, was by far the best series. Michael C. Hall killed in that role. He played a serial killer. I, that was I forget. I think that was Showtime, not HBO. But um, you know, Dexter was there. Nurse Jackie, which was the drama that was Edie Falco after she played Carmela Soprano, um, a, a drug addicted nurse. No question about that. Uh, let's see. A number of people are saying Hell on Wheels, which was a, a, a sort of a Western set, like building a railroad. Um, that aired on AMC, I, I think, um, for a number of years. Several people saying one of my favorites, Deadwood, ran for three seasons. They're making a Deadwood movie now, ran for three seasons on HBO. Um, but the, the same guy who did Deadwood also did uh, NYPD Blue. 414-799-1620. Best, uh, best TV drama ever. Tom in Twin Lakes. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Good Hi, afternoon. Good afternoon. Nothing, nothing compares to The Sopranos, and you got me excited talking about it. <laughs> I wasn't able to watch it because I was a youngster when it first came out. I binge-watched it uh, last year when I was on family leave. I couldn't stop. Uh, the characters are just charismatic, the lifestyles with the big houses, the fancy cars, right. side chicks and everything like that. I got a buddy for work where constantly still having sayings and playing YouTube clips from the Sopranos. Right. You know, these characters were so mean and green yet, you know, you picked out your favorite ones and just uh the mob lifestyle. They've never come out with a show since, and it's definitely the best. Well, and, and you find yourself rooting for these thoroughly despicable people. <laughs> you know, you know, at the end of yeah. the day. Yeah. And the only thing is, just a terrible ending, in my opinion. Oh, it was awful. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, no, thanks. For, I mean, it, it's fun. It's interesting. I, last night... Last night they were showing the last, they were burning off like the last six or seven episodes and that, that last episode I watched again and it's always been very controversial because you don't know what happened. The thing is, if, if people don't remember, it's the, the Soprano family is in this restaurant and they've ordered food and then there's all these sort of suspicious characters that are wandering around and it cuts to black and the question was, you know, did somebody come to murder Tony or not? But, and you've, you've never answered that question. Nobody knows what the answer was, but it was a lousy ending. I, I, I agree and I, I watched that last episode last Last night, and I was thinking, man, this just this this doesn't hold up. It really was a disservice to the whole show. Just like the just like the Seinfeld finale, it was awful as well. Let's talk to uh, let's see. Let's go to Mark in Whitewater. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. 
Good afternoon. Okay, best drama ever. Well, I heard on your text line came in too, but uh, Dexter. Okay, you're right, Dexter, where he played a serial killer. <laughs> you knew who he was the whole time, and you still couldn't help but kind of feel bad for him, but root for him at the same time. Right, and isn't that amazing that you have the and and of course in in that case the, the idea was he he only killed really bad people, so maybe, right. you know maybe, maybe that was the moral justification he, he killed his, really bad people. And his sister in the show was so annoying. But I think that just shows how well that actress played that role yeah. because she was just yeah <laughs> hard hard to watch. Right, exactly. No, Dexter. That, it, it was Showtime. I'm right. It was Showtime, not HBO. Right, Dexter. Right. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, I, I seem to remember it. Okay, now now here's one. Speaking about shows, um, it, it's it, it of course predated uh, The Sopranos. Somebody says The West Wing, and I, you know, let me let me just say this. I, you know where my politics are. I think it is a testament to how good that show was. Now, the West Wing ran for like six or seven years, which was three years way too long. I mean, I think it ran out of steam. But the first couple years of the West Wing with lefty Martin Sheen playing the lefty president and all that, I, I it, it's a testament to me as to how good that was that I liked it. The first couple years, I think, it, like I say, it, it got old. But it was. I thought it was well acted. I thought it was extremely well done. And, and yeah, I, I liked I liked watching that quite a bit. So, I mean, I, I, I give the West Wing credit as well. Let me also put in another pitch for, again, it's a, it's Hill Street Blues, which to me, Hill Street Blues and St. Elsewhere, really, they laid the groundwork for all this stuff that came later. Let's talk to, let's see, Sandy in Whitefish Bay. Sandy, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Sandy. Hi. Best drama. Hi. Uh, the Fugitive. Okay. <laughs> You're going back in time. David Jansen, yeah. Right, but I loved that he would get inches from him every episode, you know, and, and it was a very satisfying ending also. Right. So I loved it. I loved it. My, my family dropped everything to watch it every week, you know, when, when I was growing up. No, that's it. I mean, the few, right, David Jansen, I mean, that ran for, you know, ran for a couple of years chasing the one-armed man. A lot of people saying the West Wing, um, and, and that's that's good. A lot of people saying House. I just, I, I never really watched House, so I don't have a strong opinion on it. But bottom line is, there's a lot of good stuff that's out there. And a, a lot of the stuff you watch now, if you watch a show, what have I been watching on Netflix? Ozark, which I'm not sure I rec- – I, re- I just watched the first year of it. I, I'm not sure how much I recommend that, but but uh, some people love it. But it's so amazing. You watch all these shows now that are airing, and, and you see – I mean, it, it's you, you see The Sopranos. That It's the legacy of that. So um, a lot of great suggestions. If you're wondering why there's all the Sopranos buzz this week, it's because it's 20 years old. There's a new Sopranos book. I got ordered it started reading it this morning pretty good check it out 255 jeff wagner